0: Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales, continuing with our series about the Continentals. This week we look at the origins and early imports of the Belgian Blue Cattle breed in UK, a breed that originated in Upper and Central Belgium. I'm delighted to have on the show this week a man who could be deemed as wholly responsible for the breed being in Britain, Mr. Belgian Blue himself, Tom Ashton, and we're also joined by his daughter, Helen. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Good afternoon.
0: And Tom, the Belgian blue cattle were bred up from the Shorthorn, is that right? Possibly using the Frisian, would that be correct?
2: I'm not sure so much about the Frisian except that they have a blue. So you imagine there was some Frisian blood in the local cattle. The, the Belgian blue came out of Durham and especially from after the Second World War. The, the selection for for me increased.
0: But they started out as a dual purpose breed, is that right? They were, I suppose, the the short one was a dual purpose breed too, wasn't it? And uh, they carried on milking them. They still milk them now, I think. They ca- certainly carried on milking them well into the seventies.
2: We first started going over to buy cattle. They, they, they all milk them.
0: But obviously they're renowned for their doubled muscling and the, in Belgium this was concentrated, I think, by line breeding in, in the 60s. And Was there one particular person or a few particular people that, that were involved in this concentration of, of, of building this double muscle up, Tom?
2: Well, it was Dr. Anse, who was at Liège University oh. and he studied it and increased the muscling power. It started with one cow, I can't give you its name. but It was its son that they line bred from.
0: Okay. And we've looked at a lot of breeders in the last few months on this podcast and there's a recurring theme that uh, they use line breeding to fix these traits. So that's that's quite understandable that they developed the muscle into where it got. And it did become, and still is, the most extreme muscled breed in the world, isn't it? Yes. Tom, just go back to your early days. You you farmed from a young age, I think, and then you became a butcher. How, how did that come about, Tom? You had a shop, didn't you, on the farm? Yes.
2: My father used to send me to the cattle market every week with a couple of fat cattle to sell. And um, a big wholesale butcher took a, a shine to me, I suppose. He, he taught me a lot and explained that I'd make more money selling the actual meat to the public than what I would sell in it to the cattle market and he taught me how to butcher and from that I had about 30 butchers work for me.
0: And you'd supply wholesale as well I suppose back then yeah. did you? Yourself and your, your late wife Margaret first saw the Belgian blue cattle in Paris in the late 70s I think and you just instantly saw the future didn't you?
2: Yes, we've been to the Paris sure. agricultural show and we've been all day walking around, tremendous show it is and we all day walking around the show, and we're just making about four o'clock. We're making to come in and have a rest before we go out night
0: clubbing in the evening. <laughs> uh,
2: we're in Paris, you see. Of course. We're, um, we're just coming out, and we got parted from each other. How you doing, a crowd on a doorway? And I'm looking up for her, and she's looking up for me, and we saw the cattle, and we looked at each other and nodded. And that was it. it was, the next thing was go the following day and organise an invitation.
0: Wow, just a light came on there and then. Yeah. And, and there was a problem, I think, originally with the shipping the cattle in. Wasn't it to do with the health status or issues with the health status around them in, in Belgium?
2: The amount of work that my wife put into uh, importing them, uh, we had to quarantine them at both ends. I forget how many weeks it was for, it was quite a lot and we we couldn't bring them until they passed this quarantine well it made it very difficult to import them they hadn't to be vaccinated for foot and mouth but and the, the chain herd, and it was the best effort we'd seen and uh, we explained to the man that he wasn't vaccinated or we couldn't buy it first thing he did when we went out of the yard was vaccinated. he thought we went because <laughs> we meant
0: Your French wasn't good enough, possibly. Ah, <laughs> oh dear, that's one that got away. And, and, but there were a few issues, I know there were, with bringing cattle in from Europe, but uh, I think uh, certainly it hampered you to start with. But you selected some females as well as a bull, but you were looking for the extreme muscle types then, Tom, as a butcher, I suppose you were looking at uh, the killing out percentage, were you?
2: Correct. We, only, we wanted semen. We only wanted one effer. But we had to have a, a bull because we would no bull in England and we couldn't import semen.
0: No, there was an issue around bringing the semen in, in for, for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. Just going back to the cattle there and the double muscling, they did have a reputation for difficult carving, didn't they? And you'll have seen that with the Caesareans and a lot of the breeders used to do the Caesareans themselves on the farms. Did, did that not worry you in any way at the time? No.
2: The Belgians would sometimes do a, a Caesarean themselves, but it wasn't always necessary, they did it because they were experts at it and it was easier. We had very little trouble. Sometimes you could have a difficult calf in if you had pedigree on pedigree, but when we put pedigree on commercial cattle, we had no problems at all.
0: Sure, and that, some of that will depend on the bulls. And going back to that first import, I think the cow uh, debutante du de Morage, uh, exceptionally well-named being debutante because she was the first one in, but she was probably the pick of those cows, wasn't she, Tom?
2: Yes, we we were very, very lucky. They didn't all produce, but she she, she not only produced quality,
0: you produce quantity of embryos, and the bull, of course, was Lulu, and uh, yeah, Lulu and, and Debuton clicked together, didn't they? And uh, as you <laughs> said, you bred a lot of cows by ET. And I looked her up, Tom. She bred 119 progeny. It's
2: still going, yes.
0: <laughs> and tell me about Lulu then. He he went into AI, didn't he? And uh, you being yes. based in Cheshire, I guess your looking. Your main purpose would be putting selling semen to the dairy herds, wouldn't it?
2: That's what we were doing, yes. Uh, and all the cows, with him being white, were coming blue and white. We found that the dairy farmer didn't want dark blue ones. They wanted like the whitish calves. But uh, what what we found was that if a subtler man came, we told him that the best cattle for sutlers was the blue ones. Until this day, the sutlerman man asked for the Coloured
0: ones. Those <laughs> are the ones that you couldn't sell to the dairyman. Well, that's a smart move, Tom. There's no flies on you. <laughs> Going back to Lulu, I took a Lulu calf from a guy called Paul Boston in Bridge North to Smithfield in 1983. And he was yes. the very first calf born off of Lulu in the UK, I think. And he was certainly the first Belgian blue in Smithfield. And he was mm-hmm. out of a dairy, but he was a bloody good calf. Yes. And and uh, under nine months, he came third, I think, in the open continental calf class, and he was given away about 80 kilos. It's not a bad start and, and a pretty good advert for Lulu that day, I think. Yes,
2: that's correct.
0: And Lulu went on of, uh, uh, to sire 669 pedigree Belgian blue calves in the UK.
2: Yes, he would do.
1: There was a lot of owners in there as well, wasn't there? Yes. The rose shows. And...
2: He did a tremendous job, Lulu, and there again... You one pick if you if you don't get a good one first time you good. We couldn't get anybody to buy a bull at the, after the first import, and we needed one for Lulu's cows. And uh, I had to buy Gavroche. I
0: was going to say you started taking orders, I think, for a few more imports, didn't you? But uh, yeah, you you brought another bull in, and that was Gavroche, and again a beast that did a great lot of good.
1: He was from the same herd as Dabitard, wasn't he? Yes
0: and then um, yourself, uh, Margaret and Helen for that matter started the, the UK-Belgian Blue Breed Society and that was run I think at Lawns Farm at the time wasn't it? And, yes. And and who would the early breeders be in there on, on that list then, who else apart from yourselves?
2: Well there was George Graham and Brian Weston, yeah, they were the very first.
1: The, the minutes from the 1984 meeting you've got yourself, Margaret, my mum, um, Mashita.
2: John Mashita.
1: Richard Eads from Chelford, yes. George Graham, and Brian Weston. That's
0: right. And, and didn't you have to have a certain number of people before you could form a herd book? Is there some sort of rules on that, wasn't there? It,
2: yes, and we did a job to get the numbers up.
1: Seven, wasn't I it? think
2: it was seven.
0: And then they moved on. Your first secretary, I remember him, can't remember, David Brettel. David, David Brettel, that's right, yes. Yeah, so.
2: He was given us by Chelford. Chelford were very kind to us
0: gonna mention that Chelford that Market became the centre for Belgian blues for, for some reasons and for our overseas listener it's about twenty miles south of Manchester and uh, the first sale was there and the cattle from there went far and wide but as you said it was you know they they were good to you but you were you were good to them as well.
2: We wanted a valuation on the cattle what
0: we were breeding.
2: So I put a calf, I don't know what eight eight or ten weeks old bull calf, a full-grown bull ready for work, uh, which was Ambrose, and an uh, about 12 months old, uh, up for auction by At Marshalls at Shelford, 1983, uh-huh. and they all well. People started getting interested in them there.
0: Fortunately for yourself, it wasn't possible for people to import semen, so you started to shift uh, a lot of semen through the through the milk marketing board, I think, to start with, who were an independent government-owned organization are weren't
2: they? Yes.
1: You had a lot of problems getting them to accept them though, didn't you?
0: Yes.
2: At the beginning, Keith Cook of the Milk Board, he said to my wife, uh, your husband's doing a great disservice to the British beef industry, taking these cattle in. So then when we've been going a little while, he went to my wife and he said, Your Tom's doing a great service to the British <laughs> beef industry because he could see that they were calving without any trouble and there was italian breed that the beltboard had had they, they thought would be easy carving but they weren't
0: yeah, i think that'll be the kianina breed that we talked uh, about uh, on a previous podcast and as, as we do on this series let's go on and talk about some of those early bulls that stamped the breed and we've mentioned embryos from lulu and debutante and uh, you just mentioned lorne's ambrose was was he one of those was he a lulu debutante cross
2: yes he was an him and dominic until quite recently were amongst the leading bulls
0: in the breed. I remember Dominic, yes you're right he's still in a lot of pedigrees today isn't
1: he? I can remember showing Dominic at the Royal Show and I, I didn't really know what I was doing and um, I'd only shown in pedigree classes and you put me in a, I think was it MLC 400 day growth class or something That's right, Yes. and um, we went in that at the Royal Show, we didn't win but I think we came third oh. but I know um, Dominic's 400-day weight. was 672 yes. kilos, wasn't yes. it? Which yeah. was the one of the best we ever had.
0: Big weight back then. It's still a big weight today, to be honest. Yeah. And you mentioned the Royal Show. I think in 1983, Tom, you had uh, cattle on a demonstration stand there, didn't you? But uh, it was a bit longer before you could get the classes for them. But you must have done some good from that.
2: We took, round all the Royal Shows, the first year that we, we had them, we, we took the cattle and what we we did we were too late to enter or hire a stand so we approached people that were selling anything to allow us to put our animal on their stand and we would advertise that that the Belgian Blue would be on stand number 46 or what have you and uh, it worked out and they got more customers selling gates or whatever they were selling and we got a stand the first year which we'd have had to wait another year otherwise. Great
1: idea. First year, was it three heifers you took?
2: Yes, to the Royal. Yeah. Yes. And
1: um, we'd never shown cattle before, and um, when they got there, they were very dirty, and we noticed everybody else's were clean, and um, we didn't know what to do, and you found a chap called Bob Powell, didn't you? Yes. He, um, he helped us out and cleaned them up for us.
0: Bob Powell is a legend of a man and always willing to help everybody. That's great. And it was a few years later before uh, the Royal Show had classes for them. And uh, even then, I remember it well, we were all out in a marquee because there wasn't room for them in the building or they didn't want them in in the main building. That's right.
1: We got the crowd there,
0: though, didn't we? Yes, yes. Some of those early cow classes uh, were spectacular, weren't they? Some of these these first cows that came in, but uh, they they were buggers to show. As Helen said, you hadn't shown them before, and I I was reasonably experienced at showing cattle by the time I got to the Belgian Blues. But they were hard to show because in Belgium they show them with their heads down, whereas in, in in the UK, of course, we like or everywhere else we like to show them with their heads up. And there's such strong, heavy neck muscles on them; it was almost impossible to to get the heads up
2: yeah they they didn't want their heads up when they came to judge he he would be wanting the heads up and they didn't want to go up but the they shove them down all the time
0: I remember showing one and I can't remember where it was trying to lift his head up and the Belgian came along and he hit his head on the stick and said put that head for put that head down (laughs) <laughs> uh, he hit it on the head with a stick. And, uh, and in fact, I think my shoulder's probably still not right to this day trying to hold the, those animals up. But, uh, Helen, I remember it became fun. You had a cow called Jasmine. She was a fantastic show cow, and I had Fifi de St. Fontaine. She okay. was up over a ton, and there were some great cows in those classes, weren't there?
1: We did. Yes. We, we, had, um, we had some fun showing those at the time, didn't we? Um, Jasmine, I, I don't think that she was one of the best cows we had and she wasn't one of the best breeders either but gosh she had a lot of sparkle in the show ring and um, that made up for everything. Um, we had some fun taking her all over the country in the Bedford TK and they used to sleep upstairs in the, in the Luton and uh, Mum and Dad used to come along when it had been washed and we were just going into the show ring. But yes, no, Jasmine was a good cow to show but I remember was it Ron Collins that had your Fifi? Yes. Did Pauline have it later on?
0: Pauline it? they bought it off Pauline. I think I think Joan Pauline may have imported her and um, they, she was Fifi she was a Sanfontaine and uh, a... and then Ron bought them from there. I think she was probably never a great breeder, but she was a great choker.
1: Well I went to San Fontaine her quite often and they, they were milking into the early nineties and they had a, an old grandmother that used to make jams from the the fruit trees in the garden, and we used to always get served lovely jam, didn't we? Yes, yes.
0: Going back to that show, that that same year that we had Fifi, I had another cow from Ron Collins. She was a mad bloody thing. I can't remember her name, and she we took, went round the grand parade, and she took off, and I think I grass skied around the whole main ring on my on the back of my heels, and eventually I hauled her up and tied her to a post, and then she took off again, took the post weather as well so uh, but they were generally they were a very docile breed they still are a very docile breed aren't they
1: i remember showing lawns another debutante at at the royal she was a good cow i think that was 88 she was a tremendous cow but she hadn't got any style or presence at all and um i don't know who was judging but the the belgians came came to us, we were getting it ready, and they said, give it a bottle of Guinness and put a put an onion up its bum, and <laughs> bring it round, but it didn't do anything, did it?
0: <laughs> Are you sure you didn't put the onion up the bum the one I was leading? Maybe that's why she <laughs> took her for Underground Parade. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, you, you were still, at this time, the only man to bring these cattle in, and were for quite a while, and how did you control that, Tom? Did you sort of, I mean, I know you you drew straws in quarantine, sort of through the society, but you had a you had a hold on on the breed for a while. Yes,
2: I don't know how really. Um, we just started the society, and my, my wife ran it. And it, you're looking at a different thing than what we were then. Then it was nearly impossible for anybody to import. It was only when we got going that it was possible for anybody to import, because they, they released the import law.
0: Was this uh, because they were coming through Belgium, or, or would this be the same with if Because the French Charlie boys and limousines, were, they'd be bringing cattle in that time, wouldn't they?
2: I, I presume so. I don't know anything about them, but it was difficult for us to get them out into England.
0: And as I mentioned, the cattle went into quarantine and the early ones. Did you, didn't you draw straws for them to sort of pick which ones they wanted?
2: Yes, but we used to get the Belgian person who ran the quarantine to make draws for who got which
0: it's a fair way of doing things and other, a few other breeds did the same thing let's go back and look at some of those early breeders then and they were a motley bunch weren't they? there there were calf dealers and butchers and a lot of rogues i think that's what endeared me to the breed really they were some interesting characters weren't they yes
1: yeah ted he,
0: he he
2: bought cattle and exported them and he bought them in chelford i think it was every monday that's how he got to know about the Belgian Blue through going to Chelford for calves.
0: Yeah, right. so he was he was a calf dealer, got big calf dealer, and and a great character. And I've got a few more names here. There was Piptenard, who was larger than life character, and yeah. Susan Eaton Williams, and we mentioned just now Ron the Collins, known as Ron the Con, for r- various reasons, who was uh, I think he'd run a garage and calf dealers and generally wasn't anything that he could turn a shilling at. But he was another character and. Joe and Pauline Adams we mentioned just now, and, and Michelle, Nigel Gardner, uh, Jim Ad- Barber and Ad- Graham Brindley.
2: Adams is, we were at the Royal Show, and Pauline and uh, Joe came looking, and Pauline was doing the talking, and I thought, this fancy little blonde is wasting my time, there's a lot of people wanting to speak to me, and I'm more or less ignoring them, you see. And then all at once, Joe just walked across, he said, bring me ten. <laughs> really, <laughs> he, he was like biggest one of the week, but it didn't look it with Pauline doing the talking. You know,
0: <laughs> Pauline became one of our one of the crowd and amongst us when we were having all that fun, wasn't she? Helen and you and her were good pals, I think.
1: It was yes, it was funny because um, I mean, Pauline showed some fantastic cattle, but I think um, the park park cattle were always known for the bulls, whereas the lawns, we we in later years really turned a show winning bull out. It was always the cows that, um, and heifers that, that we succeeded with, wasn't it? was, it? yes.
0: Mm-hmm. A few more names in there. I mentioned Janet and John Green and one or two, and they were good crowds. I'm going to tell a story. I remember I probably was the first one to instigate a little bit of hybrid crossbreeding in, in the cattle world at the Stafford County show, and I had a bull called Park Chaos, and bred by Pauline and owned by Ron Collins, and he broke his halter in the middle of the night and went. He would have served pretty well most of the Simmentals in the building. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't all bullying at the time, but uh, they're tied up, so he had, he had them anyway, I think. He went on a rampage that night. I even went to Australia with the breed. Um, Ron Collins took four heifers and a bull. Uh, unfortunately, the bull only had three good legs, so it wasn't exactly an easy sell when those Aussies expect a bull to walk 100 miles to serve a cow. <laughs> this thing was lucky to walk to the nearest feed trough. So, <laughs> well, I, I, um,
1: in, in 1986, I went to Australia, New Zealand and the US, and um saw quite a lot <clears throat> of Gavroche semen, didn't we? Yes um going round the the shows there at the time. So perhaps but laid the foundations for manure's um pedigrees going over.
0: You will have done, of course. And um I think it was eighty nine when we went there and uh, within a few weeks of them landing they closed the door to all UK imports because of BSE. So right. Ron got Ron got the bull into an AI station and he absolutely cleaned up over there with his three-legged bull. So there's, if <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't remember his name, but if he's if he's knocking about in a few of the pedigrees there, uh, don't blame me on that one. <laughs> and uh, the breed moved on fast after that, didn't it? And uh, to start with, a few people dissed them as they weren't all great on their legs, but uh, and they had a few other problems as well. I won. Bambury Fatstock in 1985 with a cracking Belgian Blue Cross heifer and she had a short jaw and there was an issue with some of those as well I think any idea why that was
2: well I don't know where it was from but uh, as soon as I found out that there were certain problems I employed Joe Noble. Joe had been the uh, licensing officer for for our government and he retired so he then worked for the Belgian Blue Society and a bull had to be licensed by joe before it could be used for pedigree breeding Great and idea. likewise with the legs and we had a system of marking that we for imports we only brought grade three the middle one for the jaw
0: okay that clears that up thank you because I did, I did remember that one from her and then you're talking about uh, you got experienced people to vet the cattle, but also some experienced cattlemen came into the breed, didn't they, and changed them into the, the more of a bull that the suckler herd wanted, the likes of Jim and Danny Wiley, and a few other showmen got involved, and, and, and Bart as well, Richard Bartle. Um, these guys had been in a lot of breeds before they got to the blues, and uh, they corrected the legs on a lot of them, didn't they? Yes. And then, Tom, you were chairman of the society for a long time, nearly a decade, maybe.
2: <laughs> he kept saying do another year and when I had 10 years at it and it was a hell of a lot of work early on uh, in fact I couldn't have done it without my wife doing a lot of it um, anyway I, uh, I decided 10 years was enough so I was going to announce it at the ATM and Clive Gordon jumped up he said before you start the meeting he said I have a proposition I said, "Yeah, what's the proposition?" He said, "We want you to stay on another year." <laughs> eleven years.
0: You did eleven, yeah. And then you judged, of course, Tom. It would be a full-time job. You judged all over the country, and you judged in Brussels. I believe would you be? Wouldn't be many people that have judged the blues in Brussels for sure.
2: Oh, well, I've judged in Lens and in in uh, Brussels. Uh, I think I'm the only Englishman ever to to, to judge in Brussels. Yeah.
0: Uh, and you judged in Kansas, uh, Tom?
2: Correct. Biggest show ever. Uh, Judge was in Ireland. God, I forget how much the prize money was. It was hundreds of pounds for the winner. Nervous
0: <laughs> <No> job judging. <laughs> <laughs> Always wore your trademark bowler hat, Tom. I can remember it well. In fact, both you and Margaret judged. Well, and you did as well, Helen. I think, didn't you? Three of you all. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, my bowler hat. In, in America, they were all all on about my bowler hat. That's good. A- You have your cowboy hat, don't you? Well, I said, this is my
0: uniform. And Tom, there was something about you giving a piece of beef to Mrs Thatcher. What's, What's that all about?
2: She was in Downing Street and it was to do with France trying to draw us into the common market. And I made a presentation of meat to Mrs Thatcher. I've got a letter from her stating that she,
0: she'd enjoyed
1: it. said there was enough to feed an army, and it was delicious.
0: Yes. Good for her. Good for you, for that matter. So the beef was, and, and still is, excellent, uh, but it needed to be cut right, didn't it? With the pures in Belgium, I think they stripped the mussels off in seams, didn't they, and then cut it across the grain? Is that right, Tom? You're a butcher.
2: It's correct. Uh, they, they followed, it's, it's so long since I did one their way, but they, they brought it out in, in nice pieces for slicing up. Where if we go through the double muscle on a pedigree, we, we tend to get it too
0: too big for want of a better word.
1: Yeah, you can't cut steak off a pedigree blue without seam cutting, can you?
0: No. No, and I think that's probably an issue with the people that misunderstand the way to cut them. And of course, in Central Europe, they eat leaner beef anyway. I should know; I live here. And uh, a lot of the beef here in France is from two-year-old cows, three-year-old cows, and Belgian. That would be the same, wouldn't it? They they yeah. eat, eat these cows at three years old. Yes. And I'm told on the beef front, I'm told the breed never really took off in the U.S. Uh, despite you being there in Kansas, and uh, certainly not, it's not big there nowadays. And that's because they pay a premium for marbling, and I suppose that isn't a, isn't the blue's strength. So some of our American listeners uh, will be will be um, will not understand, you know, what what a Belgian blue is.
2: Yes, and there's something about uh, America about the fat, the meat in a certain size of box, and the belt and blue
0: didn't fit the box. The meat. I remember Pete Bodley and myself at the uh... Belgian blue barbecue at the Royal Show, ceremoniously taking a couple of steaks round the corner to the beef short horn barbecue to see what they thought, and uh, they were suitably impressed, I have to say. And then they brought us some short horn steaks back in return, which uh, they may have been better. They they were certainly different, but um, it was uh, it was interesting times to be able to promote that uh, beef right from from the on the hoof to to a barbecued steak, handing out to the to the public. Yes,
1: there was some. Barbecue at the blue stand at the royal weren't they there were great fun and we great we had times but I, I know um i used to go take the cattle down to the royal welch show and we used to back you cattle trailer up and they used to come and welcome you and help you lead your cattle off and we helped you unload your straw and at the royal they they were awful to you they didn't tell you where to go or what to do and, um you know but the welch made you so welcome
0: and the Royal, of course, isn't there anymore, and therein hangs a tale, maybe, Helen. Uh, going back to Pete, Pete worked for Michelle Gardner, and, of course, her and, and Nigel, they, they brought in a few cows themselves, didn't they, certainly in their later years, and mm-hmm. I spoke to Pete the other day, and he mentioned the Garni de Mirage and Glorette de Ray. Right. I think a couple of names that he mentioned, mm-hmm. but I suppose that would be the time, then, that, uh, that the adventurous ones would go and start sourcing their own animals, uh, Tom. That's
2: right, yes. Once uh, quarantine uh, finished, it's not much problem bringing them. It was up at that time, with all the quarantine, that it was a big job.
0: The breed grew very quickly then through embryo transfer, didn't it? In fact, a few companies set up purely around the blues. There was uh, Stella Skulls and, and uh, QET. The, 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 the ET was just a good way of, of moving the breed on, wasn't it?
2: Yes, it was a boost for to to get it promoted because um, providing that your animals were good, that you were eating from, it speeded the process up a lot.
1: We say earlier that ET came just around the time that that you needed it.
0: Yes, timing couldn't have been better, Tom. And Helen, what what about the other breeders who were the who were the guys to beat then back then? Who were the cows? You got any other names for me? I'm Clive. Got it. Got it. You mentioned.
1: Oh, and Doug uh, uh, Hazel. He had um, Hazel Professional. Barry Brazier had some good show cattle. I think he enjoyed showing them more than breeding them, really. Um, Roland Mason, um, he, he enjoyed his showing. He had uh, Virtuos to some. Yeah, there was a good crowd. Jill Evans later on. Jill and Hugh Evans had some good cattle. Um, but like you say, Michelle Gardner and, and Pete Bodily. Kosher, Rich Dean Kosher was one of their better ones, wasn't it? Um, but they had some... Very good cattle, and he he did a good job, Pete. I think I think he was um, only a, a young lad when he was first at the Royal Welch with us.
0: I remember at the Royal Welsh, I had a heifer from Bassie Burns called Daisy May, and for some reason she decided to bulldoze Peter's heifer out of the ring. I think he'd maybe come first and I'd come second, so she lo- locked down and, and sort of four-wheel drive, bulldozed him straight over the top of the railings and in a pile on the floor, and, and the national television picked it up, and then we went into the pub that evening, and all oh, the new, the Wel- Royal Welsh was on the television, and the first thing they showed was just heifer pushing Peter into the middle of the road. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You mentioned Hazelwood Freshman, he was a great bull, and I, I remember him being hard to beat, and he was good on his legs, wasn't he? And He's yeah. still being used today, that bull, I know somebody that's still got straws of him, still using him.
1: Yeah, I never thought he was a typical blue, really, but he was just so good and strong and, and correct, wasn't he?
0: Dark bull, wasn't he? Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: And and going on to, to Joe and Pauline, they had Park Daimler, who was a great bull, and then Park Dominator and Park Eagle, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they had a good go, didn't they, the bulls?
1: They did. They, they specialised in the bulls. They, they bred some great bulls. Every show you went to, they seemed to bring a different bull out fresh. And, they were, you know, they were all good.
0: Selling them each time, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But the genetics bred through from generation to generation, didn't they? I remember a black bull with a white head. I think his name was Gaylard. And uh, he had a bad temper on him. And uh, people used to say, whenever you saw a Belgian blue with a white head... Um, that was uh, that all went back to that one ball. There weren't too many um, blues north of the border, were they? Not to start with, anyway, not in good hands, anyway. I think uh, Robert it, Graham had a few.
2: It was a, a difficult job selling in Scotland. Mm. It, it was the rest of the country was uh, into them and they'd not heard of them in Scotland, but eventually we got them going.
0: Yeah, and and uh, said some of those Scottish guys that took them and maybe changed them to suit their ways, and within a few years the herd book had swelled into the thousands, hadn't it? And uh, and the yeah the job was 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 going, going great guns, and the breed has also been consistent with putting the back ends on crossbred cattle, hasn't it? Particularly show cattle, and to this day most of the show calves have they've got some blues in the female line, haven't they? Somewhere. Yes.
2: Yeah. They They're the best carcass animal there, there is. You've just to be that if you're breeding pedigree on pedigree you have to mind what you're doing, you have to be careful.
1: I don't think there's many show cattle without a sprinkling of blue in them nowadays is there?
0: Eventually they became the British blue, when was that? Were you still involved with them then? Well I
2: was asked to agree to it, it didn't really affect me that much I contacted Belgium and they didn't mind and it was something to do with the supermarkets, they were frightened of not selling the beef because it had been got by caesarean section and I tried to explain that that wasn't the normal procedure it was only in a very rare case that you had a, a caesarean section but that was what the supermarkets were frightened of but they changed the name to, to British
0: Blue and that they were bred differently do you remember when that was Helen
1: I would think it would be about ten years ago but I, I don't so. know
0: so nowadays there's some good young guns in the breed aren't there there's Rob Patterson at Orkinlay and and uh Kevin Watler at Solway View young Ali Jackson bringing out the cattle these guys have got some great correct beasts nowadays and the breed's moved on hasn't it and these are cattle that would grace any breed now aren't they and uh the Belgian blues now of course are scooping up interbreeds as well which is you know is is, is um a good endorsement for where they stand within the cattle
1: it's taken a long time for them to to get into the interbreeds, we we used to struggle, didn't we? But now they're often up there.
0: As I said, the breeds change, and it's in good hands now, that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, Tom, our paths crossed again a few years later when you imported the first Beltex sheep into the UK, again from Belgium. And for our overseas listener, a, a Beltex is a Belgian Texel, and again sporting their double muscle in the same way that the Belgian Blue Cattle had. And and you saw the potential in those, and, uh, and you, you made another killing.
2: I went on a farm in Belgium to buy Belgian blue cattle and when we're walking amongst the cattle looking at them
0: I said good god Luke you've
2: got sheep like other cattle and eventually I went and I had a good look at them but you see I'm not a sheep man and I said uh, it's a pity we don't know more about sheep than we do kind of thing or uh, we could import some of these and my wife said you are importing some you've never been wrong yet you won't be wrong this time so we set about importing those, and that they were successful as well. I didn't think we be successful with two breeds, but we were.
0: You did, and you had two cracking ewe lambs on a stand at the Royal Highland Show. And my father was judging the Blue Domains at the Highland Show that year. And after the the showing, he was bored and stumbled across your stand, tucked well away from the stock lines. And he came and fetched me all excited and he said, Come and take a look at these animals. And I wasn't totally convinced, to be fair, but he bought a pair of them off you and uh, he started his Cunningswick flock, to which uh, he went on to great things with. Uh Um,
1: No, he um, he turned some good sheep out, you dad, didn't he? Um, I, I went to Belgium with him on a couple of occasions, and um, I can remember of an evening he used to be on his whiskey, and last thing at night he'd always say, bring me a glass of milk.
0: And, and Helen, of course, you were secretary of the Beltex for for a long while, and, and uh, very successful you were all with them.
1: I sort of fell into the job. I think it started in nineteen eighty nine and I did it for seventeen years. And it, it's funny because if you read the minutes from a, a council meeting now, twenty years almost on, the issues are the same. Ear tags, inspections, nothing you know, nothing ever changes with, <laughs> with these breed societies.
0: You can go back 100 years and, and, and yep. still find those same issues. Well, Tom, Tom, we thank you very much for bringing, bringing both of those. More to the point, the whole Belgian Blue Breed thanks to you for what you and Margaret did and over the this last 40 years. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with, with both of you. Thank you. And uh, I hope some people have been enlightened as to the origins of the Belgian Blue Breed. And I hope we can all meet again soon and, uh, and catch up with the dram. Thank you, Andy.
1: Thank you
2: very much indeed.
0: Thank you for listening to our Top Lines and Tales podcast. You may like to take a look at our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page as well, where you'll find some photographs to back up this episode, as well as many more photos and discussions on similar topics.